fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time, even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Wednesday middle of the week, man. Can you believe it? Halfway through, you see the light at the end of the tunnel, and boy, oh boy, is it a day of crazy, wild shenanigans, malarkey, and whatever other term you may want to use for the day today welcome into it this is the voice reason i am andy hoosier broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in wichita kansas on our flagship radio station we are all over the country multiple radio stations and tv live streaming podcasting however you watch or listen to the show it's wonderful to have you along for the ride your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day bottom of the hour we have ryan craig brand new guest on the program he is author of the book apprentice nation We'll talk about internships, apprenticeship programs, and are there still opportunities for the young generation to be involved, get their feet wet, get their hands dirty, so to speak, and to get some experience in the workforce while they're trying to get their education? And is there a lack of balance in the economy right now between those with work experience and those with college degrees? And if you're a business owner, what would you take? Someone with a experience or someone that may have that piece of paper saying they know how to do it by the book. We'll talk about all that and more with Ryan coming up at the bottom of the hour. Also, some big news that we'll get into that's obviously happening later on tonight, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Before we get into all that, though, I I want to step away and just do a personal note for just a moment. I don't usually do that on the program, but I think today uh, definitely constituted is it is. And it's hard to believe it. <laughs> I think today really hit me in the face again about how old I'm starting to get. I know people that are older are like, Andy, come on, man. But seriously, I think it really kind of slapped me in the face a little bit. Today, 17 years ago today, was a pretty traumatic event in my life and so many other lives as well. But 17 years ago today, it is the 17th memorial Remembrance, if you want to put it that way. I don't like to use the word anniversary because that's kind of a cheery tone, and this isn't necessarily a cheery tone. But today, 17 years ago today, was the shooting that happened at Platte Canyon High School in Bailey, Colorado. It was my senior year at that school, and it is something that I will never forget, along with so many others that were so personally involved in that situation. One individual died. So many others were harmed in other ways that I'm not going to get into on this program. And one individual from Denver, Colorado, roughly an hour away, felt like ending his life in a very traumatic way by writing a massive suicide letter to his family, saying that he was going to do something that they would regret, and drove out of his way up to a small rural community that was Bailey, Colorado. Our small high school, a Platte Canyon high school that had roughly 400 students in the entire high school. My graduating class was right around like 100, 120 students. And held a classroom hostage for a good good amount of time, about six hours, ended up holding six females, six girls in the class hostage, and at the end of the day ended up killing one of them as the SWAT team ended up busting into the room to charge after the individual. The lady, the girl that was there, Emily Keys was her name, ran towards police and ended up getting shot, and then the gun gunman individual, the hostage individual, ended up turning the firearm on himself and killing himself. Police still don't know whether it was his bullet or theirs that ended up killing him at the end of the day. I bring this up not to put you in a solemn mood, 
although it has been kind of a solemn mood for myself, remembering and thinking about it. And uh, I've told you this story on the program before. I've told it on many other programs as well. When we talk about Second Amendment issues, mental health issues, school shooting issues, and school safety issues, we will get on uh, an organization at some point. We tried to get them on today. They were obviously busy with things going on with the um, remembrance and different ceremonies and, and vigils that were going on today. But the I Love You Guys Foundation. Now, for those that don't know what the I Love You Guys Foundation is, it is a foundation that was created after our shooting at Platte Canyon High School because the girl that died, Emily Keys, the last message that she had sent to her family was a text message that said, I love you guys. And that was the last that they had heard from her before she passed away. So the family created the I Love You Guys Foundation. And what it started off as was trying to promote random acts of kindness. Because there was really no way, and even though some former high school colleagues have written articles in the Denver Post and other news outlets trying to advocate for gun uh, restrictions, Second Amendment restrictions, gun regulations, because they say that that would have stopped the shooter from doing what they did on that day, it wouldn't have. The individual had no priors. He had no red flags other than feeling depressed at that time and writing that suicide letter. But he had no priors to that and was able to purchase a firearm legally. And it was a handgun and did what he did with his wanting to end his life, along with ruining as many and uh, many other people's lives as humanly possible before he left. There's no gun restriction, gun control, advocacy, gun whatever that could have stopped that in any way, shape, or form. The only way that that could have been prevented is a continued focus on mental health for people to not want to go down that road, along with focusing on school safety. It was a random act of evil. It was a random act of violence. It was a random act of something that could not have been prevented and only the stars aligned in the universe for whatever reason allowed it to happen at our little tiny school in Bailey, Colorado. Nothing else could have prevented that. And the I Love You Guys Foundation, understanding that it was a random act of violence, a random act of evil that could not have been stopped that way, started off as a foundation to promote random acts of kindness to be the positive force in the world, be the positive force in the universe, which is an amazing thing. So bringing up this story today, the only thing that I ask of you is I don't need, you know, the, the, the condolences. We appreciate that. You know, that's, we still just grieve it in our own way. Everybody that was personally involved, everybody at the high school, all the families that were involved, especially the Keys family. God bless them. I haven't talked to them in years, but God bless them. We loved them to death. And I still think about them very often, but Starting the I Love You Guys Foundation, I, I encourage you today, as you may be driving home or maybe already home, depending on when you listen to this or whenever you decide to listen to the program, to do a random act of kindness. Just do something positive, do something nice for somebody, somewhere, to promote that positive influence in the world. And that's all I ask of you. And we'll get them on because now they've branched out and actually have a really nice organization, a lot of individuals that are working on it, that are promoting mental health issues and school and community safety by them going in and doing essentially audits of schools on how they could potentially make their school safer to prevent these types of incidences from happening. And I think it's an amazing organization, and I love what they're doing, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, the reason I also speak about it, is because I've told you the story of what happened, but haven't really gotten too personal. Just because it's hard to talk about, hard to think about, and I don't usually like to do that. But it's been enough years, it's been 17 years, and more has come out this year, just 
me personally, processing it, allowing it to happen, healing from that sort of thing that you can never really get over. But uh, the girl that died, Emily Keys, I haven't really talked much about her other than she was, you know, an acquaintance, but she was a good friend. And in fact, what I haven't said on the program was that I would, would was really hard for a lot of years was that I literally talked to her about 15 minutes before the event happened and the lockdown that happened shortly after 10 o'clock. I had had my class with her prior to that event, and we took French class together. And at the end of the French class, she had found out that I was joining the speech team that year, joining debate, which obviously transgressed into what I do now, talking politics and doing debate on a regular basis. And she found out because she was also on the debate and speech team, and it talked to me just as the class was ending and as we were going to our next class and it asked me that day to stay after school and hang out with her and work on debate and work on the speech team and hang out with her after class or after school at the end of school that day, which I was really excited about. And then that was the last time that I had talked to her and 15 minutes later, the lockdown happened and the shooter walked into the classroom. So it, uh, Obviously, one of the fewer-ish people that talked to her right before the event happened, and that's been very difficult for a lot of years. But not to bring you down again, just to uh, process, you're kind of my therapist today, so I appreciate you letting me uh, talk about this on the radio program. And for 17 years later, it is still something that bothers me, not just because of this event, but because of how frequent school shootings have become and most of them are done from students that are tra- traumatic, uh, students that are bullied, students that are depressed, students that are whatever. And, uh, you know, it's usually the student that ends up lashing out. This one, slightly different as a member, not even, not even of the community, but of someone who was an hour away who randomly chose our small little town and randomly chose our small little school and wanted to do something harmful that affected a lot of people in their lives. And because of that, Again, the only thing I ask for with this is to do something nice, a random act of kindness to a random stranger just because and be that positive force in the universe. And that, I think, will create the snowball effect of doing acts of kindness, positive influences in the world and being aware of the evil, the darkness, the negativity that's out there. And we can push back on that on a daily basis. That's all I have to say about it. I know I use a lot of time for that, and I apologize for it, but I think it was important, and I think it's a big thing that we can focus on moving forward. And God bless everyone that was involved. I haven't talked to a lot of my high school colleagues and friends in a long time, and I've seen a lot of posts on social media regarding the issue, and this is my way, just like we do on September 11th. It's kind of my way to do the tribute and bring the awareness of school safety, making sure that as few of kids possible have to go through such a traumatic event and have to live through such an atrocious thing, although we see it now on a semi-regular basis, and it breaks my heart every time that we actually see it. On that note, let's shift gears a little bit, shall we? What's trending today? Obviously, we have a big debate tonight, although how big is this debate? Really? According to the Washington Post, the media is starting to catch on that I think they're acknowledging and expecting and recognizing that Donald Trump may become the nominee for the Republican presidential primaries because this debate, according to the Washington Post, is labeled as the least important presidential debate in U.S. history, meaning that there's very few that candidates can do that may be on the stage tonight that will actually stand out boost their popularity, boost their numbers, and actually give them an edge that could topple Donald Trump. And because of that fact, the media has now transitioned from focusing on what the other candidates may be doing 
to the kind of trouble that Donald Trump is in now with the latest decisions from the courts. And we'll get into that here in just a moment. But I ask you, and I want you to ponder this, is is there anything that any candidate could possibly do that could pique them and make them actually a legitimate challenger to Donald Trump, who's up at least 40 to 50 points really over any candidate right now that's in the field for the Republican presidential side? I don't know that there is. And this is not an endorsement of Donald Trump. This is just pure speculation from my end right now. But Donald Trump has something right now that no other candidate has and that I don't know any other candidate in the field right now could even potentially get. And that is being the beacon, being the example, being the iconic figure, if you want to put it that way, of fighting something deeper. With the way that they tried to impeach Donald Trump and did impeach Donald Trump, with the way that they're going after him now with the indictments, with the way they're going after his businesses and trying to shut his businesses down as well, he stands for something much deeper. And that something deeper is that fight against the deep state, fighting against the corruption in the nation. And even though he can't do it himself, he's kind of become that beacon, that icon, that example of This is what happens when government comes after you, and we need to stop how much power that they have and stop the abuse. And whether he's the proper candidate or not, he's kind of become that example, that emblem of what we're trying to fight against. And that's why no one else can really stand up and represent the way that Donald Trump is right now. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed, it is 24 minutes past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. So we have the most insignificant debate in U.S. history, according to the mainstream media, already beginning to acknowledge and admit that Donald Trump will become the nominee. And again, this isn't an endorsement, just a pure speculation. But Donald Trump having something that the rest of the candidates do not have. Fighting that deep state, fighting the establishment, fighting the corruption in Washington, D.C. that so many blue-collar workers, average Americans, the Joe Schmo out there, believes is trampling on the little guy, on the average worker, on the average person just trying to put food on their table each and every day. And we're seeing it unfold, obviously, right before our eyes with the false indictments that we saw while he was president of the United States or the, the impeachments during the the administration, the four indictments that we're going through right now, the shutting down or the attempted shutting down of his his businesses, now calling him a fraud as he supposedly tried to inflate the prices of his real estate in order to get bank loans and go after uh, by saying that he was worth more than what he really was and what his businesses and his real estate properties really were. And I, I ask you, I mean, I think this is re- the realization that They're trying to find a way to not make him be president because of the fact that there's nothing that can be done by the other presidential candidates on the Republican side right now that can top him in popularity because he is that that beacon. He is that example. He is that, I guess you want to say, that picture character of who's fighting the establishment. Whether he can do it himself or not is irrelevant. Whether he's actually doing it or not is irrelevant right now, although many people believe it, which is why no matter what happens to him, he continues to see a boost in numbers. No matter what the other candidates say, it doesn't matter because he's getting that boost in ratings because we've seen what's happened to him. 
And he is that, that example. There's memes that fly all over social media saying that they want to come after you, but they can't because I'm in the way, showing a picture of Donald Trump. He has something that no other candidate can have, which is that that record of going against that establishment. And that's why I say Vivek Ramaswamy is actually the smartest guy on the on the debate stage outside of Donald Trump because he's recognized what that thing is that Donald Trump has, and he's playing off of that. He's going after that. He's the only one outside of the, uh, all outside of Donald Trump. He's the only one on those debate stages that has talked about closing down the Department of Education. He's the only one that's talked about closing down other government agencies and departments because of the corruption. He's the only one out there that has said that he would actually um, save Donald Trump if he became president and that he would actually go after the establishment. He's the only one that said it was okay to close down the government with this potential government shutdown at the end of the month or at the end of this week, now just a few days away, <laughs> because he understands that's the message that many Republicans want to hear. Now, obviously, he doesn't have a record of doing that and of being the victim of the system. In fact, he's made a lot of money from the system by working through the pharmaceutical industry. So this isn't an endorsement on him either, but Vivek is very smart in his campaign strategy. Because he's used that to try and build the performance. And that's why he's floating around number two or number three in the polls for support behind Donald Trump. Now, again, put that into perspective. Donald Trump has a wide range of support above all the other ones, 40 to 50 percent. But regardless of what happens to Trump, it's not going to deter the support. In fact, it's going to boost it because of what he represents right now, which is the fact that we don't trust government. We don't trust the political system. We don't trust the system, quote unquote. We don't trust elected officials. We don't trust politicians. We don't trust Washington, D.C. in general. And Donald Trump is the one that Washington, D.C. despises, and they're desperate to keep him out of it. And therefore, that support automatically is thrown behind him. Whether he's the right candidate, whether he's the wrong candidate, whether he's legitimately or potentially can do what he says he wants to do, it doesn't matter. He is that example. And while he's not going to be at the debate again tonight and he's going to do whatever he decides to do to try and pull away those ratings, uh, people are going to watch that and it's going to hurt, again, the debate ratings. And that's why media is acknowledging, well, this is probably the least important, most insignificant debate in U.S. history because it's candidates that have no chance of winning unless Trump is out of the picture. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It is going to be curious to see how the candidates try to step up and make themselves known in the debate tonight. For those that are watching, we do have Vivek Ramaswamy that could try to pull off what he did last time, which kind of stole the show. Over the last couple of weeks, Nikki Haley's kind of jumped up a little bit in the polls as well, being the quote-unquote alternative to Donald Trump. But again, she's in single digits, and Donald Trump is not in single digits. In fact, he's still 40 to 50 points above everybody else. This is the make-or-break debate for candidates to decide whether they're going to stay in this race and have some type of cabinet position <laughs> or whether they could be a legitimate challenger for Donald Trump while the media finds a way to try and ruin him. Ruin him. We'll get into the judge rulings here a little bit later as well. Let's get into what's trending, though. Shift gears just a little bit. 
What's trending today? You know, we like to talk about a few major topics on this program. Economics is one, and education is another. And when you blend the two together, how does the education system actually affect the economy overall, especially for young children, or I'm sorry, young adults, who are having a hard time getting into the workforce, gaining the experience. Now, I may be relatively young, being 34, but at the same time, I remember when I worked in high school to make some money, get my feet wet a little bit in the workforce, learn my work ethic, get a little experience, even though it wasn't much. I was working at a feed store. I was loading up 50-pound bags of cattle feed and horse feed and dog feed and bales of hay for people in the back of their trucks. I enjoyed that. i, I got to be honest. I'd much rather do that than bus tables at a, at a restaurant. Just throwing that out there. So I enjoyed it very much. But uh, when I was in college, it was difficult to get any type of internship, apprenticeship program, and I think that's where it's at. Luckily, when I left university, I went to a broadcasting school. I It was mandatory. I had to log in 300 hours of internship in order for me to graduate. And trade schools are on the rise right now. And specialty programs are on the rise right now. Why? Because we can't afford the college when they want us to take the first two years of college to be the same high school classes that we took before you even start your degree and be like, oh, okay, here you go. And you walk out of it with $100,000 of student loan debt, and then you have no work experience, but you have a piece of paper that tells you that you know how to supposedly do something based on what the book says. Are we getting back on track, and can we see a balancing out of the economy moving forward? We're going to talk about that next with our next guest on the program. He is the author of the book, Apprentice Nation, how to how the earn and learn alternative to higher education will create a stronger and fairer America. Happy to have on here Ryan Craig with us. Ryan, how are you, my friend? Oh, happy to be with you, Andy. Great. Yeah, yeah. Excited to talk about this because I love the opportunity. I think in today's times, at least me personally, if I were a business owner and I was looking to hire somebody, I'm pretty sure about 99% of businesses out there would choose someone that actually has experience in the industry, hands-on experience, as opposed to coming out of college with a certificate saying that they knew how to do it based on what the book told them. Uh, do you do you find that as well when you talk to business owners? Yeah, I mean, that's what our research is, is showing, is that it's not just for, um, and, and particularly with uh, accelerated digital transformation, these digital jobs, um, yes, there's a skills gap, but there's a there's a there's a bigger and faster growing experience gap, meaning that uh, you know it's 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 actually not too difficult to become uh, certified as a you know Salesforce administrator, Workday, uh, or uh, in any other other of these platforms. Yeah. But uh, there's not too many employers who were excited about hiring someone who's sort of a newly minted Salesforce administrator. <laughs> uh, so the experience gap. Is uh, is big and growing, and AI is going to exacerbate that because what this generative AI is going to do, it's going to you know your typical entry level job, um, you know maybe half of the work that you're doing is menial, and that's sort of the you're you're learning as you go. Yeah. That menial work is going to be uh, out the window in a few years. Uh, that's going to all the expectation is that that's going to be all done by by AI, and the expectation is that you're going to be spending your time doing higher value things. Uh, which is uh, basically impossible for someone with no, with no experience. No experience. So, yeah, you got to work your uh, way up to that point. Uh, you got to start sweeping the floors and work your way up to become that manager position, which is the way the workforce has always been. Ryan, when did we get to this point to where we've essentially eliminated these? Was it minimum wage hikes to where people couldn't afford to hire people at higher wages for that entry level? Was it just this push of I'm going to my kid has to go to college or else they're going to be unsuccessful in society? I mean, what was the factors here that caused the situation we're in today? 
Yeah, it's been about 50 years, uh, Andy, since um, sort of College for All became the sole uh, sort of legitimate uh, pathway to socioeconomic mobility. In this country, of course, that's, that's, it's, it's not the case in the, in the trades, uh, blue-collar jobs. But, uh, you know, for most families, the, uh, that's a good job for someone else's kid, but not for their kids. Uh, and so they, they want their, uh, they, they don't want their kids to, uh, uh, to make a living with their hands. They want them to make a living with their, their brains. And that's just the, the, the way we are in colleges is the pathway, uh, to that. And if you compare the, uh, the U.S. to, uh, every other developed country, uh, in the world, we are the furthest uh, out of balance uh, between uh, sort of earn and learn apprenticeship uh, pathways and uh, degree-based, tuition-based, uh, debt-based uh, pathways. So we've gone all in on uh, college, uh, and I understand why, right? Uh, the idea that sort of anybody can get a college degree and become anything they want, it's, uh, it's kind of like, you know, it, 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 it goes hand-in-hand hand with the American dream. Right. Uh, the problem is that uh, college has gotten uh, way too expensive. For 30 years, its uh, tuition's gone up at about double the rate uh, of uh, of inflation. Uh, and if that's not a, a, pro- a problem enough, uh, almost half of all students who enroll don't complete, uh, and uh, almost half of those who complete graduate into underemployment. And that's driven increasingly by the fact that. Uh, good jobs uh, that college graduates want are digital jobs, and colleges and universities aren't training, uh, aren't preparing students on the specific platforms and skills, uh, let alone the experience uh, that employers are seeking uh, for these entry-level jobs. So colleges aren't doing uh, a worse job than they did 20, 30 years ago. It's just that digital transformation has caused the economy and uh, good entry-level jobs to kind of uh, – uh, accelerate away uh, from uh, the, the skills that college graduates have. Yeah, because of this and because of so many people flooding into the universities to get their degrees, whether it's just their master's, their bachelor's, whatever, and just get those basic degrees, has it watered down the value of these degrees, do you think? Because so many people have them competing for so small of a industry, whether it's you know it's something just basic uh, for business management or something ridiculous where some someone just walks away with something like that. Has it watered down the value of that to where it really doesn't mean as much as what it used to? I think that's right. I think that's, uh, you know, if you actually look at the jobs that college graduates are getting, the six most popular majors, um, things like business and psychology and, and so forth, um, and you try to map them uh, to specific uh, pathways, to specific entry-level jobs, you can't because there's just kind of a big swirl <laughs> where, you know, it's kind of, you know, you could be, you're as likely to get this job uh, as a business major as you are, as a psychology major and so forth. And so uh, there's really no rhyme or, or reason uh, to um, our current post-secondary uh, system. It's just the way it's evolved and the way it's evolved is, largely uh, to the benefit of uh, these institutions and the people working there um, and taking uh, federal federal dollars and um, uh, increasingly pushing students into uh, debt such that for the last two and a half years at least the uh, the, the real the, the only debate um, at the federal level around uh, higher education has been around loan forgiveness uh, which is you know completely backwards looking yeah. Um, it's not. It's not. It's not going to solve any problems going forward. What we need uh, is a more balanced approach 
to uh, spending taxpayer dollars. So as an example, uh, for every, right now, uh, the U.S., federal and state, we're spending over $400 billion a year uh, subsidizing uh, accredited colleges and, and, and universities. Uh, apprenticeship uh, receives less than, less than one one-thousandth of that, the less than $400 million total taxpayer dollars. If you compare the typical uh, college student to an apprentice, uh, for every dollar in a public support that that apprentice is receiving, the college student is receiving $50 in public support. So I don't know whether the right balance is uh, one to one or two to one or 10 to one, but it's not 50 to one or a thousand to one. Yeah. Particularly when apprenticeship is a, uh, is a, you know, creates a much more level playing field, right? There are, there are millions of students out there who can't access uh, college because even if the community college is free, uh, they're still foregoing uh, an income, and they need uh, money to uh, live on for food and for housing and so forth. An apprenticeship is a job by definition. Earn and learn. You're making a, li- a living wage as you learn. So it's a more level playing field. It provides greater socioeconomic uh, opportunity. Uh, we, should, we should be prioritizing that, and particularly in a digital economy where uh, learning by doing uh, and closing that experience gap uh, is becoming uh, a, a real a real priority. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, there are so many directions we could go about dismantling the university institutions and how they actually operate, because you're right, it has nothing to do with actually trying to get them the proper education and get them on their feet for success. It's about taking as much money as possible and holding up the administrators, these professors that are tenured, making thousands of dollars. They edit one line out of their book and make it the new edition so you can't buy it off of somebody else. You have to buy the brand new one for $500 for a book, and it's absolutely absurd. And what you're saying with how much money goes into apprenticeship programs compared to the universities like that, that one one thousandth, the that's the level of, well, I mean, Elizabeth Warren is being Native American. So, I mean... There's that as well. Uh, Ryan, we got to take a hard break here real quick. Uh, you check out the book. It's Ryan Craig. You can find it, Apprentice Nation, How the Earn and Learn Alternative to Higher Education Will Create a Stronger and Fairer America. When we come back, I want to talk about how we can focus on the apprenticeship programs. And are we seeing, slowly but surely, the pendulum swinging the other way, the opportunities with high schools partnering with maybe tech schools or trade schools or different ways to get them involved, get them a certification and get them into the workforce the easiest, quickest and cheapest way possible. Is it happening or do we still have some work to do? It's a Wednesday here in the Voice of Reason. Lots of work coming up. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Last few minutes of the program here on a midweek celebration. We just carpe diem all over this place, baby. That's what we're all about. We're hanging out right now with Ryan Craig, author of the book Apprentice Nation, as we try to shift and balance this work environment right now. We have all these certified college individuals and yet so few people that know how to get their hands dirty and get into the workforce as well. Brian, are we seeing a shortage, by the way, of electricians, plumbers, construction workers? I mean, that industry, are we seeing people lose that trade on know how to work with their hands? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a there's a shortage there. Um, you know, my, my my book focuses more on uh, digital jobs because that's where we're seeing the rapid growth yeah. uh, in uh, employment. But there's no question that uh, the traditional trades uh, we have a shortage, and uh, actually, one reason we have the shortage is because of the um, uh, apprenticeship requirements um, that states have that say that uh, you can't supervise more than it requires, you know, one, two, or three master electricians or journeymen uh, to bring on one additional new uh, apprentice. Those those ratios are backwards in lots of states, which make it um, uh, really difficult to um, to to grow grow talent. And uh, those uh, those ra- apprenticeship ratios is kind of technical, but those apprenticeship ratios are. Highly supported by the unions in those um, in those mm-hmm. trades uh, because when you have a shortage, it pushes up wages. So um, that's uh, that's one reason we have a shortage in the trades. But again, the, the big opportunity for apprenticeship in this country is to scale apprenticeship across the economy, like we've seen in other developed countries. So you know, forget about Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, because when most people think about apprenticeship, they think about those Central European countries where uh, you, you you have almost as many. Uh, uh, young people doing apprenticeship as you, you, you have going on to university. But uh, the UK, Australia, those countries 20, 30 years ago looked a lot like the US on apprenticeship, meaning a very small number of apprentices, almost all of uh, all of them in the construction trades. Uh, today, in those countries, really common to uh, start as an apprentice, um, forego uh, university, and launch a career in financial services, accounting, tech, healthcare, you name it. Uh, they've really done a good job of spreading apprenticeship across the economy to the point that those countries are now uh, eight, eight, eight times, they do eight times better uh, than the U.S. in terms of apprentices as a percentage of the workforce. Wow. So we're, we're way behind, uh, and we're way behind because uh, we haven't funded mm-hmm. apprenticeships. Uh, and to the extent we funded it, we've been funding it wrong. Yeah, not just with the apprenticeships and those that are in the workforce, but when it comes to understanding technology and getting people up to that level with with digital, with with the building apps, with using technological side, I know that China obviously kind of leads in like having kids building apps in school at like the age of six or something ridiculous. How are we in the United States compared to the rest of the world on getting kids and getting the next generation up into technology and getting them prepared for the advancements in technology moving forward, do you think? I think the big, the big problem, uh, Andy, is that uh, schools are kind of closed off uh, from uh, the real, the, 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 um, uh, the software, the platforms that are used in actual real work. Uh, um, so it's not as if uh, students are being kept away from technology in schools. We're using technology more than we ever have uh, in schools. The problem is that uh, these are not the, the platforms that are being used for digital marketing, uh, for uh, CRMs, uh, for uh, uh, human capital management, uh, for uh, you know in- the insurance industry. Um, there's just no 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 connectivity there. So, for example, a few years ago. I was speaking to an audience of a couple hundred college and university presidents and provosts, and I asked them, how many of your institutions are providing any training whatsoever on Salesforce, the leading CRM uh, platform used by you know uh, hundreds of thousands of American yeah. uh, businesses? Uh, 
uh, and where there are millions of open and unfilled jobs uh, out there, and not one hand went up uh, in the in the room, and that's at wow. the college level. That's why. So, uh, we, we, and, and again, I think it's the, uh, the, 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 the problem is that our, our educational infrastructure, certainly uh, uh, high schools, but uh, also colleges, uh, up until recently, haven't thought about uh, helping graduates get a good job as sort of part of their, uh, their remit. Well, and what's demanded uh, yeah. in the market? Yeah, what's demanded in the market? Yeah, like you said, we could get we need good salespeople out there, but yet we're training them on how to get a certification on gender studies in college, and it's not quite helping us. Ryan, we're out of time, my friend. I appreciate it. I love the content. Apprentice Nation, go and check it out on Amazon, other places as well. I could go so many different directions with you, Ryan. we got to get you back on the show again real soon, and we appreciate it. That does it for us today. Podcast up in just a little bit. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.